Hello and welcome back to the Shakespeare series brought to you by My Entertainment World. Today we're talking about Julius Caesar with Dion Johnstone. Um, we were talking about Julius Caesar specifically because Dion was in the middle of working on Julius Caesar when we ended up being able to schedule this conversation. Um, I initially contacted him about doing the Shakespeare series um, just because he was at the very top of my list of who I wanted to talk to about Shakespeare because he's at the very top of my list of who I enjoy watching play Shakespeare. Um, you know, you could maybe argue he's my favorite Shakespeare actor in the world. I certainly, um, I think I tweeted something to that effect when watching Julius Caesar is that there, if I could only ever hear the verse spoken by one person for the rest of my life, it'd be Dion Johnstone. I just love him. Um, he was one of the very first major interviews we ever got, um, when this site was just getting its feet under it in the, uh, beginning of the last decade, um, Dion was in sort of the height of his Stratford career and he was nominated for, he won actually, uh, I believe best supporting actor the very first year we ever did the awards, um, the theater awards, the TV awards have been going for a couple of years. Um, but so he, he gave us an interview that year and it was very, very long. It was like two hours. And then, um, when he was playing Titus Andronicus at Stratford, I believe the following season it would have been 2011 summer, 2011. Um, I met up with him at a coffee shop in Stratford and we did like a, a really satisfying deep dive detailed, almost like line by line at certain points. Like I pulled out specific parts of the text and was like, tell me about this moment. Um, really deep dive on his, on, on, uh, not just specifically his performance as Aaron, but Aaron as a character and just talking about sort of in an academic sense, um, about Titus and Aaron's role in the canon. Um, cause he's just a, he's a fascinating person to talk to about Shakespeare. He's so smart. He's got such, uh, he, he lives in his characters so strongly and emotionally connects with them. Um, no matter who he's playing, you know, heroes, villains, whatever. Um, so that manifests itself very interestingly with Brutus, who is, I think, hero, villain, whatever is a good dis- description of Brutus. Who knows? He sort of lives in that gray area in between and wrestles with, um, you know, who who is he um, in terms of his identity of hero versus villain or are, do those labels even matter or exist? Um, so in... Uh, he was playing Brutus in the Crows Theater, uh, Groundling Theater production um, that happened at the beginning of this year. Um, and so he was just like so completely immersed. I think he was in the third the third week of performances. He was just about to close uh, when we got together. And so um, he was like deep, deep in the Brutus process at the time. And it was sort of all encompassing. Um, so this was the play he wanted to talk about. And I was more than happy to talk about Julius Caesar, um, especially because I'd already had the opportunity to see this particular production. Um, so we were able to, this is one of the conversations in the Shakespeare series that is a little bit more focused on one specific production and one specific interpretation of the text. Um, we have a few that have been more like this, that have been very focused on, uh, a production, sort of a moment production history, um, as opposed to some have been really academic and some have been sort of like very casual, just like, Hey, do you like this play? Um, so this is one of, one of those, one of the very specific, uh, production based ones. Um, you didn't have to have seen, uh, the production though. It, I think we do a pretty good job of describing what it was. Um, it was a modern, a modern interpretation with a, a very bold frame device, uh, that broke the fourth wall and they had, um, podcasters as the, uh, as the setup to try and explain some of the backstory at the beginning. And then um, at the end it came around and they broke the fourth wall and um, it sort of became a little bit of a philosophical discussion 
um, and a larger extrapolation about the themes of Julius Caesar and sort of remarking upon the action we had just seen. Uh, that was a very controversial choice. There were Some people loved it, some people hated it. Um, you'll hear Dion and I get into it about our thoughts on it as well and sort of what we think it means um, in terms of the interpretation of the play itself, which is the meat of the production, which was relatively straightforward. It was, it was modern, um, but it was fairly faithful to... Um, sort of the traditional sense of what that play is. There wasn't a lot of tinkering. Um, it was a beautiful production, fantastically cast, really good all-star cast. He played opposite Moyo O'Connell as Cassius, who is just a dynamite actress. And specifically, I love her in uh, male Shakespeare roles because she was Coriolanus recently. She's just fabulous. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dion. Um, I think that's all I need to tell you about Dion and Julius Caesar. Usually I use these openings to tell you what the play is about but you don't need me to tell you what Julius Caesar is about and if you do you need to reassess some things um sort of one of the medium plays it's not exactly Hamlet in terms of popularity but it's not far behind um and it's famous famous history story you should know this already so um enjoy our conversation make sure to check out the website myentertainmentworld.ca as well as the subscribe on on iTunes uh, it's just the My Entertainment World podcast gets you access to all of our different series that are happening at once, including the Shakespeare series, the Favorite series, Corona Cold Reads series, the Corona Movie Club series. Corona Cold Reads will have some Dion Johnstone content coming up soon, so I highly recommend checking that out. And um, yeah, that's sort of all I have to tell you. I guess um, uh, My Ant World, My ENT World on Twitter and Instagram. And I'll uh, see you on the other side. So I always start with the Wikipedia synopsis of the play because they have these like little three sentence things that mm -hmm. encapsulate the plot. Mm -hmm. um, so for uh, Julius Caesar, Wikipedia says, set in Rome in 44 BC, the play depicts the moral dilemma of Brutus as he joins a conspiracy led by Cassius to murder Julius Caesar to prevent him from becoming dictator of Rome. Following Caesar's death, Rome is thrust into a period of civil war, and the Republic the conspirators sought to preserve is lost forever. Mm. It, do you feel that that is accurate? Yeah. Yeah? That's, that's, that's certainly my lens uh, through, uh, through the play uh, in, in this production, playing Brutus. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's basically, in a nutshell, what the, what the play is about. Okay, so why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about your history with Shakespeare and this play specifically. Okay. Um, funny enough, uh, Julius Caesar is the first Shakespeare play that I came into contact with. And when I was in high school, in junior high actually, um, I, I was a big, uh, an, an avid comic book fan. And, uh, and on, on the side when I'm not acting, I, I still like to draw comic art. And so I love comic books and superheroes and everything. And my parents were concerned that, um, that I wasn't reading any of the classics. So they were at a flea market one day, and they uh, found uh, these copies of, of these comic books called Classics Illustrated. And they were comic books that, that were made in the late 60s into maybe the early 70s. And they had 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and... and uh, uh, Three Musketeers, um, and and one of them was Julius Caesar, so so they bought me a copy of that, and uh, and that was my introduction to to Shakespeare, and it wasn't until a couple of years later that in school uh, we started studying Shakespeare. The first play that we did was uh, was Macbeth, and and that was a painful uh, process of <laughs> of 
everybody in the class taking turns reading, you know, a couple of lines and passing it on, and nobody understanding what they were saying, and nobody caring, and and our teacher not even really being able to articulate what the what the story was about, and and uh, so it was a, a challenging uh, experience. But but I found for myself, um, I found it really easy, and I attribute that to um, the thing about the comic book is is. That there were images that were you know, and drawings that were associated with it, and so very early on, without realizing it, I was able to to listen to the language and have pictures form in, in in my head, so I could see the images of what was being talked about, and and so as we were approaching this this new play, there were there were images that were that were coming up, and so I could understand the flow of the of the language. So uh, so that was a, a a really great thing that my parents did for me um, one thing I love about Shakespeare is is how he was using classical mythology in his in his his work and and I loved uh, the Greek gods and, and that also connected to the comic books that I read at the time as well too so so um, stories of the gods and and um, that whole world uh, really attracted me so so that was another thing that I that I, I loved coming into contact uh, with with Shakespeare um, so you're currently playing Brutus, as you mm-hmm. mentioned before. So tell us a little bit about this crows slash groundling production and how it came about and sort of its its angle on the text in gen- in a, a large, broad stroke sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I know um, groundling theater is is uh, um, I mean their mission is to uh, uh, produce and provide Shakespeare in in an intimate setting and. Uh, they've been looking to to work and collaborate with with crows for for a while, and and I and I know uh, I mean there were many discussions that that both Chris Abram from from uh, Crows Theater and Graham Abbey from Groundling Theater had with each other in terms of what play to to choose, and at the time with with the upcoming 2020 election, um, there uh, Julius Caesar seemed like a good a good fit, although. The stuff that's happened in only these past weeks mm. <laughs> could never have been predicted and have really aligned in a in a, um, a really um, both exciting and 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 kind of crazy way with with our production. Um, but uh, they knew that they wanted it to be modern, um, but they didn't want it to um, be too specific in, in in the terms of saying that Julius Caesar is is Trump, let's say, for example, as some productions have done. Yeah, it was a huge um, outcry. There were protests and all that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, the one that was done in, in the park in, in, yeah. in New York only a, a few years ago, um, like massive um, death threats that, that, that they were having, and they had to yeah. be um, escorted into to performances and, and everything. Um, I, I find, and... and uh, and I believe Chris feels the same from, you know, uh, we've spoken to us as a company, that the language works best, you know, if you harness the energy of what's happening um, currently um, and, and, and then let the play tell its story through that, it, it will highlight themes that, that the audience can pull what they want from it without, and it can be very current um, without trying to shoehorn it. The moment that you try to make it something, then in a way you, you start to reduce um, what the actual play is is saying and so um, our production uh, while it's modern um, in a you could say a a North American society um, it's not specific as to as to where and as to who Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that works uh, 
very well for us. And then events, you know, we use drone strikes in it, and it's about an assassination. And so, you know, only a few weeks ago when, when um, the assassination uh, on, on Soleimani took place, I mean, that just really changed the, the play. It changed the listening of, of the audience to, mm-hmm. to the play. And, uh, and that's been really electric and, and, and exciting to, to experience. Um, so that's really... And I, and I think the, the, the central theme of what we're exploring in this production is the, the balance of emotion versus reason. And as human beings and, and as a, a society, um, how successful are we right now at being able to overcome our uh, uh, emotional fears and, and, and emotional state to use rational thought to actually have discourse with each other that can um, evolve into something profitable and better. Right. And, um, and, and that's really uh, Brutus's central concern. He's a person who believes that if, if people are given the facts and, and um, um, a divorce of, of fear and, 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 and emotion, but if they, can, if they can see the facts, they will choose what is the, the, the reasonable and, and the proper result. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has faith in the Roman people to, to be able to do that. Um, but he has a, a misunderstanding of, of how people operate and how he himself operates. Um, in the end, the, the populace is really moved by their fears and by emotion, and that's something that, that uh, Mark Antony is able to, to hook into and, and understand, mm-hmm. something that Caesar understood. Um, and so the whole fallout of the assassination then leads to Brutus really having to confront his emotional side that he's kept repressed for, for, for quite a while and um, facing the consequences of that and facing who he is. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the ideal of of, of who he wanted to to be and, and thought he was living his life to be. Right. So, in your perspective, Brutus's decision to join the conspirators is purely logic based. Like he's talked into it on a sort of in a reason level, and it's not counting not accounting for the emotions of the populace. That is his major mistake. Yes, uh, and and not. Uh, just logic based, but I, I, I think another pull for him is the fact that he comes from a family of of, of people who drove out the the, the last regime of, of kings in Rome and helped establish the the republic as they as they know it to be. So he also feels um, uh, a calling to to a do it. That is duty. that is his his duty. Yeah, yeah, to live up to to that family name because he's feeling the pressure. Of, of people on the streets and 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 uh, uh, the fears of of, of senators um, that this is going to happen and, and we're going to lose our position we're going to lose the rights that 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 we have and and we need someone to stand up and and you need to do something you you have that authority mm-hmm. um, so so part of it is is also the the weight the responsibility that that he feels um, and um, and after analyzing it, feeling that there's no other alternative, that, that Caesar is not going to turn around and, and make it easy, he's, he's going to become king if this is not stopped. So there's, there is no alternative other than to, to assassinate him. Mm-hmm. Um, one could say, well, why not just let it happen? What's the, what's the fear of that? And I think there is a, a, a great fear of, of the Roman senators of 
of losing their position, losing the the powers that they've they've had, the the, the freedom um, that they've that they've had. So one of Brutus's sort of central struggles is the idea of trying to make, stay a good man or be be the best man he can be while doing this, you know, sort of morally gray things. But would you argue then, from that perspective, for a good man who's looking out for Rome, not just for himself, was there a right thing to do? Like because. The thing he does doesn't turn out very well, but you, as you're saying, leaving it alone wouldn't have turned out very well either. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's. I mean, looking at it from our lens, I mean, I, I think one of the questions that the play poses is: is assassination, is taking another life, ever a justifiable um, means to 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 an end? Mm-hmm. Um, can you? Um, both, you know, commit a, 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 a um, an action like that and save your your own soul. It's really interesting. I found out through reading later um, in Dante's Inferno, um, in, in the lowest ring in hell, where where Lucifer, uh, where you eventually find Lucifer, um, you also find um, the souls of Cassius and Brutus and Judas, mm. and and they are all there. Uh, Lucifer has three heads. And, and in each of his mouths, he's devouring one of their souls in, in perpetuum, in, in eternity. So they're constantly being devoured. And that's, mm. that's their, their penance that they have to pay for having committed um, one of the biggest sins, betrayal of, 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 of another. Um, and I, I, thought, I found that, wow, that, that really changed my, my angle because, you know, in one way, I, I, I feel that my Brutus, at, at least, is is trying to reason with himself that I wouldn't be called to do this and, and I wouldn't be put in this position and things wouldn't be lining up that the way that they seem to be lining up um, if it, it wasn't my destiny to to be the one who could right this wrong. And, and it is um, a morally gray decision, so he has to rationalize it in, in a way that makes it as pure and as clean and as unemotional and unbiased as, as possible. In, in the hopes that if, if you are asking me to, to do this, then when, you know, when the time comes, my soul will be saved. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to prevent everyone else from taking any action that, that would um, corrupt that and, and put their souls in, in, in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, I don't feel in our production that his soul is saved. Especially learning this about Dante's Inferno. Just like, wow, that's a, that's a really dark aspect of it. I think he's he's sort of facing the consequences of those of those actions and, and a mistake that he that he made. Mm-hmm. Well this idea that he thinks of it as his destiny to do this and to fulfill this task is a very interesting sort of read or reversal on Cassius's very famous line, the fault is not in our stars but in ourselves, that we are underlings, right? So it's like the the stars are it's us that are not fulfilling what the stars actually say, which is that we shouldn't be underlings. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if, if, if uh, I mean, for Brutus, whether he misinterprets it or, or, or not, as a, a Stoic, I mean, he, he, he doesn't necessarily, I think he believes that, that there is a, a destiny, that that there is a plan that's that's laid out, which is why he so uh, he so abhors the idea of of committing suicide, because you don't know in the end what the gods have laid out for you, mm-hmm. and and by 
doing that, by cutting off your life before seeing it out to see what might be intended for you, 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 you prevent the great cosmic design from, mm-hmm. from happening. Um, so I don't think he, he initially agrees with that, um, that it's, it's, um, that we as human beings have to take destiny. I think he, he believes we have, as human beings have to endure for as long as we can um, to find out what that destiny is meant to, to be right. and to, to use our reason to, to try to understand it as best as, as we can, to endure suffering so that we can understand what, what, what the lesson is as best we can. Mm-hmm. But, but um, that's coming from a person who, who is also working very hard to um, not let his emotional side cloud himself. And, and when everything falls apart and um, the narrative has been changed and they're not the heroes that, that he thought that they, would, that they would be or the liberators that, that he hoped they would be and then the, the uh, republic crumbles, then he has to face um, not only the consequences but face his emotional side mm-hmm. and, and, and face the very real prospect of we're going to be captured soon and what are you going to do? Are you going to allow yourself to be paraded through the streets and 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 um, you know ridiculed and used in their in their triumph, uh, whichever way that they want, or are you going to take your your own life? Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, I don't think he knows until in, until the end what to what to do. So he's a he's an interesting and confusing character because he's contradicting him himself, and and I think it's because he's he's really torn. He he hasn't let himself feel how he really feels right. um, until, until everything is taken away and he has no choice but to confront the ugliness of, of, of what it can be to be human. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? So this pr- production, um, one of the most notable elements of it is this meta-theatricality thing. You've got this frame, you've got people commenting from within, within the story, on the story, and then at the end you have this sort of reckoning where the characters look back on their actions and talk about it, and you bring Coriolanus into it, we've got all these things happening. Um, what are you say? what is the production saying with all of this, and what's your perspective on that meta-element? I can't necessarily like speak for um, what what drove um, Chris to 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 want that. Um, it was really interesting how it initially came about the the uh, the, the epilogue, where after we had been rehearsing for a couple of weeks and sitting in in the skin of, of the characters, he just wanted to know you know if we were to look back on 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 our lives, um, you know post death, what would we how would we feel about this? How would Brutus feel about um, Antony saying this was the noblest Roman of them all? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we just sort of riffed with where we were at at that at that time with the characters and and, and what we felt because uh, there's a lot of disillusionment in 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 the play. Um, and um, he also felt that there was uh, there's a, an inherent almost emptiness and, and a slight dissatisfaction at the end of the play in the way that it, that, it, that it ends as proper that just felt a little like it was missing something. And so I think he wanted to, to add a coda that in a way helps tie the world that, that we've brought everyone into at the top of the show with, um, helps bring it to, to the present, helps actually take it from something that the audience is, is watching 
to putting it on the audience to spark a, a discussion and hopefully to help us start talking about you know more about what's happening in our world now mm-hmm. um, and and from you know he, he had a his his phone you know on, on record and he just kind of walked around to everyone in the room and said so what would you have to say what, what what do you think you know and he'd asked us a series of questions and and then from there he he built the the, the epilogue and it's interesting because it's it's um it's Divisive, you know. There's there's members of the audience who, who don't like it and don't feel um, that it's necessary, um, or that it speaks to them, that it's their point of view. Because as as Brutus, um, what Brutus comes to to realize is that at the core, human beings are animals, and so for all of his efforts to try and and reason and and be calm and and um, seek for a higher, you know, um, answer and a higher purpose. Um, he hasn't been able to reach people, and and he's been forced to confront that the reason he hasn't been able to to reach people is because he's no different, and by extension, the audience is is no different. I mean, the question is, why can't we reach each other? And 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 if people can't see beyond their perspectives to communicate with people from a, an opposing perspective, then how do you bridge that that gap? Mm-hmm. Like how do we how how are we to solve any of this? Um, Brutus, in the end, asked that question. He asked it of the audience, and then he asked it of of, of Caesar in in the end. And, and Caesar has this very um, cryptic response where he says, "You don't," and that could mean you don't try, um, or 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 people aren't able to. There there there's there's no point to it. Um, but even in the end, Brutus is is refusing to to accept that um, so I find it really interesting I, I find it uh, um, certainly in terms of sparking discussion and making it more than just oh great we saw a wonderful you know play and, and let's go home now you know but to get people sort of talking more about that mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's a, it's a great um, um, uh, epilogue for those for that purpose well, you've touched on this a little bit, but um, specifically in the idea of the universality of the play. But what are some of the ways in which modernizing the, the actual action of the plot um, fundamentally changes the story being told? Are there, are there any things that um, are totally recontextualized by being in a new, in a modern context, anything that gets lost or anything that's noticeably gained? Um, <clears throat> well, I've been in four different productions of, of Julius Caesar. Seriously? No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Over, over, the, over the years. And all of them have been uh, modern yeah. dress. But what's interesting about, about this production um, in, in, in numerous ways, um, A, we have... Roles that uh, traditionally are, are, are male characters that are played by by female actors, um, and, and in some cases the character has remained uh, a male, like uh, Octavius. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but in other cases, uh, the characters become female, like like Cassius. Um, and I think uh, I, I think that's uh, been a stroke of of, of genius in, in this production. Uh, Moya Connell playing playing Cassius. Um, I mean that just for me can continues to to further the the idea that um, it doesn't matter the the, the, the gender 
um, or the race of, of, of the actor playing the role if they um, are able to, to uncover and harness the energy of that, of that character. And, and that opens um, new um, possibilities in, in, in the language um, that you might not otherwise um, hear or, or maybe new dynamics to, to the relationship that, um, that just would be different if it was uh, two men, you know. Um, I love how, how Moya uh, plays Cassius because she's fierce. She's, she's a, um, a, a warrior. You don't doubt any of that for, for a second. But there is um, a different kind of personalizing of, of her grievance against Caesar because you get a sense that there was some kind of, of relationship that happened between the, 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 the two of them and some expectations of, of, of Cassius's that were never met, some kind of overlooking that, that Caesar gave. And, and so um, there's, there's something really personal, you know, un, un, underneath that, that relationship that wouldn't be as apparent if, if Cassius was, was a male. And I find that an, an interesting dimension. It, it gives even a, a bit more clarity to, to, to where Cassius is, is coming from. What about in her relationship to Brutus specifically? Do you feel that the gender switch makes a big difference in that personal relationship as well as her relationship with Caesar? It is. It is. Uh, it is. It, it could be, but because because um, Moya is so um, fierce with mm-hmm. with with how she she plays it, um, like there's lines where normally you know Brutus would say. Um, he calls, um, if I can only remember the lines, it's so weird when you're not in production and, and trying to remember the lines that you say. But in, the, in their fight, um, there's a point where Brutus gets quite upset and says, a waste like man, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or should, uh, should, should I, you know, um, you know, should I basically give you the space when, when, a, when, a, when a madman stares, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, to change that to a waste like woman, you know? Or when a madwoman stares, um, could be um, taken the wrong way. It could be like like a you know an offense saying that you're you're a woman. You're not you're yeah. not worthy. But but in our case, in the heat of what's being argued, it's it it, it never becomes about that. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 just becomes about the behavior that that you're showing right now. So I think um, um, Moya really uh, skillfully um, a- a- avoids a lot of the the. The, the pitfalls that could happen uh, um, by making that role uh, a female. So in my mind, there's no issue. Um, uh, I think it should be done more. I, I don't see why that would ever be a, a problem. Yeah. Um, there is, you know, you lose, I think, in the assassination, um, you lose a degree of, of um, I mean, when, when you're being assassinated with, with knives, I mean, part of, of the setup of the appeals that are made and 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 the, and everyone stepping in to make the appeal is is partly to get into position mm-hmm. to to block off Caesar's access and and to be able to to stab him and so then the stabbing becomes something that's very um intimate and and gruesome in a different kind of a way and when you do it with 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 uh with pistols um you 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 lose that aspect of it but I still think um, in the staging that we've done of it, because in a way we, we put the, the audience into the forum with us mm-hmm. and it's happening uh, around them, that it, that it, it has, uh, even though it's a different effect, it still has a, uh, a shocking effect. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's not necessarily even a modernization thing, because you can kill someone with a knife in 2020. Mm. So it's mm. a, it was an active choice to do um, guns. Mm-hmm. And was there um, any discussion about that, about the sort of distancing of um, gun using a gun instead of a, a knife? Um, not so much. Not I really? think I think it's something that that Chris just felt strongly about, and 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 felt in the world that we we were creating, it made more it made more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a company, we went along with it. Um, there is something that you you lose, but but like as I said, I I, I don't think um, I don't think we lost what the moment was. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course we have drone strikes instead of you know big battles happening on the field and and, and all of that and I, I mean I, I just I, I don't think we lose I don't I don't think we lose anything of what the story is is trying to to say I think a, a, a rigorous attention to to what the drive of the story was was made by both our director and, and, and the cast and the modern elements just help to bring it to to our world so that we can see it happening in our world right now mm-hmm. so so that it's not sort of something that people are thinking of as a distant thing There's one thing some, about oh, sorry, um, oh yeah uh, one thing about adding the prologue that that we did um, we eliminated the the opening scene that, that that Shakespeare has which talks about Pompey and 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 shows the the mob in in terms of how fickle they are you know where, where you have the two tribunes who are saying I mean it was like, like only yesterday that you were praising Pompey and now you're 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 you flipped and you're completely on Caesar's side, like, like wake up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but quite often that's that's a scene um, that the audience doesn't really fully understand, and so I, I think with the podcast at, at the beginning, it uh, it really helps to set us in in the time of the festival, and then really kind of dial back and, and talk about Pompey and Caesar and, and what their dynamic was, and and just give a a, a context for for the world that we're living in now and what the stakes of, of that world are, mm-hmm. where you've got senators who who previously were on the side of, of Pompey, but now they've got to fall in line and, and, and follow Caesar or, or else, you know? Yeah, it sort of clarifies some of that political stuff that we don't always catch, especially in 1-1, where you're still getting used to the, your ears adjusting to the language, and it's important to have that information, but it's the most easily missable <laughs> information usually uh-huh so exactly translating yeah. it for the audience and making sure we know mm-hmm. it's, uh, really valuable um i was just going to say something about the the guns there's like a, a brutality to the gun usage because the um it it can't i mean i don't know <laughs> that much about killing people but the i imagine it takes quite a few stabs in order to actually kill them whereas mm-hmm. the first shot theoretically would have taken caesar down then you're just putting more shots in him just because it feels there's like a it's almost like there's an extra layer of um, harm in it in a way mm-hmm. um, does that make was that at all on your mind the idea of like you're dis- taking more shots than you need to in order to get the job done well we we discussed where the where the shots were mm-hmm. and and chose the shots in, in a sequence that wouldn't be kills oh so you so have the, the kill shot at the end yeah so so it was it was so that everyone contributed to it Ah. So that no one person did it, making it ineffective for for anybody else. Okay. So so in the staging, which is hard to see because it's all happening fast and, it, and it's 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 shocking, but um, in the choreography of, of how we did it, and and uh, if you see Jim Mizon's body of, of where where he takes the hits, um, it's they're all sort of like targeted all areas. Okay. 
So yeah. he bleeds out really. Yeah. In the same way he would have if it had been, if he had been um, stabbed. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like Brutus comes in at the end with the shot to the heart, even though that's metaphorically what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing you brought up with talking about modernization was the idea of race. It is a very uh, diverse cast. Mm-hmm. It, does that play a factor at all, or just because it's in a modern world, is it just sort of you just rolled with it? Yeah, we just we just were certainly aware of it, but it's not something that we. Um, I, I think it's just inherently there. Because we, you know, as, as actors, we've got actors of color, we've got actors who are of indigenous background. We, we bring that with us. But we didn't make it, we, we were sort of clear not to, not to get too specific in, in, in terms of who, you know, who Caesar is, what these issues are. We tried to do the play, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and, and just let the fact that we're there, the fact that we're using, uh, you know, harnessing different uh, ideas and let that support it but let people draw from it what they what they will so that wasn't a major thing that we focused on in terms of um what does it mean to be black and be um a senator in in this in this in this world well that and specifically the idea of jim being an older white male too the idea of Mm -hmm. that's who is coming down off of the throne was that in discussion at all or just kind of a casting thing um, it's, I mean, it's it's there as 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 a layer, but it's not something that we we um, harped mm-hmm. too too much on. Um, and speaking of Moya playing uh, male roles and specifically warriors, she just came off of Coriolanus. You mm-hmm. had all another Cor- recent Coriolanus in the cast. Yeah, with three three Coriolanus. Yeah, yeah, so many Coriolanus. The and <laughs> yeah. then there's an, like Andre being the one that. Um, the Toronto audiences were they were betting on remembering because it was so recently at Stratford. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually speaks some lines as Coriolanus in the in the epilogue. Mm-hmm. Um, was is the idea that this is set in the same world as um, Coriolanus? Like how how does Coriolanus factor into um, the world of this Julius Caesar and the idea of like him being yeah just casting wise to me at least who knows everybody's resume felt very present to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Well, part of um, what we're exploring with the the prologue and, and the epilogue and, and some of the the you know inter inter scenes narrations is the idea of uh, a spirit realm. And so, if you were to go back, once you find out who the identities of these people are at, at, at the end, Andre being Coriolanus, uh, Diego Metamoros being uh, Pompey. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jani uh, Lausen being uh, Cato, and and they start the the podcast at the beginning. You don't know who their identities oh, are. Oh, is that who they are in the pod, the podcast yeah. and the epilogue are the same identities? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And it's not it's not necessary for for the audience to. I mean, they're not going to know that at, at at go. Yeah. And it's not necessary for them to to get it by 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 the end. But the the sense for us is is that. I mean, they're in a purgatory state, sort of forced to to watch time continue to fold itself in this circular fashion mm-hmm. that that never really ends. In a way that you know, when the assassination of Caesar happens, and and the line comes out, how many times, you know, how many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over in states unborn and accents yet unknown? It's sort of a meta thing. In in a way, it's happening again, and and these ghosts. Have, have witnessed similarities in, in their own time, and and they're condemned to 
to watch this happening, wondering, well, will things ever change? And and so by the time you hit the end, it's sort of a timeline of all the ghosts. So so we, we, we then see Mark Antony, and, and you sort of jump to what his future end was to be as well, too. And everyone's sort of in this this purgatory state. So in a way, it gives it uh, a kind of timelessness as well, too, that, that it extends all the way into the, the, the ancient past. And, and you could say, by, by extension, if you got to meet more ghosts, it, it's extending all the way to, to our present, you know, that, that we have spirits that are, are, are watching us. And then there's also uh, the animal heads, mm-hmm. um, which are, are meant to look like it, it could come from the, the Feast of the, the Lupercal and it's sort of appropriated from there. But there's a symbolic meaning that, that they have that um, that we all have uh, a, an animal self and for all uh, we try to do in terms of being rational and, and, and reasonable we, we still in the end revert to tribalism and, and revert to, to, to groups and factions and, and revert to, to our fears and how to protect ourselves in something that's more basic and, and more animal in, in, in nature and so, so that's, that's where those themes kind of all tie into together as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I think is interesting about Caesar as a play is that it's one of a few Shakespeare plays where the title character is not the lead character. Mm. So coming at it from this idea of um, the, the person you speak four times more than Caesar does and the idea that like the main, the person perhaps most interesting to pay attention to might be a little off, a little out of focus, a little off to the side when you're looking at the picture initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very interested in this idea of you've been in four different Caesars. Have you played mm-hmm. four different tracks each time? I've played uh, Mark Antony the last... Uh, no, no, hold on. I played Mark Antony twice. Okay. And Octavius once. Okay, yes. So, so uh, I did a, an Octavius at the Stratford Festival. I remember that, yeah. And, uh, and then I played Antony at uh, Chicago Shakespeare. And um, when I first started in Vancouver, I, I, I played Mark Antony in a, in a production years, years ago. So how does it affect the play, having entered it from so many different angles? And especially, that's interesting, you've been on one side of the war in mm-hmm. all your previous <laughs> yeah, 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 productions, yeah. Yeah. and now you're seeing it from this other perspective. Um, how does that affect how you see the play as a whole? Well, I've always... Um, it's a play that that uh, it's interesting how you talk about, you know, your your main character being sort of out of focus and, and, and slightly off to to the side, mm-hmm. and and I've always felt that about the play. There's something strange about it, and and I found in the productions that I've seen and and been in, I never quite understood Brutus, and and I never really found the character all that interesting. Oh, really? And and I've always found that the play. Um, could very easily be uh, usurped by by Antony. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, his form speech uh, is like a slam dunk, right there if it's if it's done right, you know. And um, so it was interesting to be provided the opportunity to to play Brutus because I was like, I, it's a character I don't understand, and I still feel uh, working on it that it's a work in progress, and and I could see myself down the road doing another production of doing a fifth production of, <laughs> of Julius Caesar and I would love to play Brutus again and, 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 and have another go at it and I mean I think he's a really complicated character and, and he's a challenge to, to um, I mean I, I think in the past 
I've often seen a, a, a Brutus that, that veered more on the Stoic side that I ended up not being able to connect emotionally with, with the character. So that by the time the fallout of part two was happening, I was able to watch it, but I wasn't, I wasn't feeling for, for their side. Um, and, and I think there's a, um, a, um, a balance and a real wrestle between that stoic nature, that, that really um, stepping back from the, the, the picture to examine it for, for everything that's there and, and then come to a reasonable conclusion and, and act from, from that. There's the balance of that between the active suppression of, of, of emotional feeling. Um, so that it's very difficult for him to grieve for for his wife. It's difficult for him to talk about it. You don't even realize in, until you know the end of the scene almost that that the reason that he's gone off the, the way that he that he has is because he's he, he's not talking about what's really going on, which is my wife is dead, mm-hmm. and I feel responsible, and all of this is falling around us, and and I need to know that what we did was right and what we did was true, and if you're going to behave like this and not be above board, then it, then it takes away everything that we, every last thing that we that we have. Then we are criminals, and and I can't I can't have given up and lost all of this for that. Um, and that's where he's that's where he's coming from. And that's a very emotional place, and I think that surprises him. It it, it upsets him that he can't control um, himself and that he doesn't have the capacity to deal with everything that's going on inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that really interesting. So I, I feel it's, it's, it's you know, something we worked on in, in, in the rehearsal, just trying to identify, like, what is going on with this, with this guy? And, and I think there's deeper to, to go in it, and that's, you know, the unfortunate thing about short runs is, is you just start to get a smell of it, and then it closes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Um, but that's what's exciting about Shakespeare is, is that you never feel that you get to the, the bottom of it and, and it keeps you wanting to come back for more and, and, and you grow in the, in the act of trying to take that on right. and find out where, where does that live in, in you. So, um, uh, yeah. yeah. So I always end with the same question, but before we get to that, is there anything else you wanted to say about the play that I haven't asked exactly the right question for? No, that that really is great. So our last question is always, so we talked about, we started with the plot. Hmm. At the end of the day, what is Julius Caesar about? Oh, at the end of the day, what is Julius Caesar? (laughs) (laughs) On on one level, I I think it's how the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Hmm. And and I think that's that's Brutus's story for all his good intentions is intent. (laughs) <laughs> intentions um, he didn't realize the, the, the journey that, that he was lit, quite literally um, going to hell so that's our episode for today thank you so much for joining us be sure to search My Entertainment World in your podcast catcher to get the entire Shakespeare series as we work our way towards all 38 plays in the meantime follow us on Twitter Instagram all that jazz myentertainmentworld.ca is the website thank you so much for tuning in I'll see you next time <laughs>